Welcome to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides biblical teachings through its tours, speaking events, and social media. It's also a reliable and accurate source for developments in Israel and the region. Amir's live updates and teachings are based on God's written word. Connect with Behold Israel on Telegram, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Download our free app, available on Android and Apple, under Behold Israel. Shalom, everyone. This is Amir Tzalfati, and I'm live from our office in Galilee, in Israel. And this is our Q&A. I would like to invite Pastor Barry Stagner, my friend from Southern California, and Pastor Mike Golay from Minnesota to uh, this uh opportunity for a round for excuse me for a Q&A and uh, it'll be a wonderful time please uh, write your questions and uh, we're gonna dive into it shalom everyone shalom. shalom okay pastor mike take it from here please hey listen folks this is a chance for you to ask any questions related to bible and prophecy Please, no questions about the vaccine or medical things. That's something between you, your doctor, and pray it through with the Lord. But anything having to do with the end times, the second coming, the rapture, the millennium, the tribulation period, the global order that's happening right now, all of that is fair game. And so please write those questions down in the chat room, and then our administrative assistant will forward those to me, and we will throw them at these gentlemen and see how they do. And so here is the first question for Amir. I learned recently, uh, well, actually we forgot to pray. Did yes. we pray? Yes. Yes. We prayed. <laughs> we prayed. Okay. Question is this. Um, let me bring that up. My computer is running very slow for some reason today. No, maybe Pastor Pastor Barry, why don't you start with the prayer? We pray be, be the three of us, but let's pray. Uh, Off camera, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, good idea. Yeah. Father, we are so grateful that you have given us a book of answers and direction, and all things pertaining to life and godliness, Lord. So, in such a time as this, as we see our redemption is nigh. Uh, God, we pray that you would give us clarity of thought and answers that are helpful uh, to your people. Uh, from your word, Lord. So we ask for your blessing now and give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, we've got a ton of questions coming in. First up, Macy is asking you, Amir, if Damascus will be destroyed and uninhabitable, wouldn't that likely have to be a nuclear weapon that destroys? Many destroyed cities have been rebuilt, but lingering radiation could prevent rebuilding. Theory on that, Amir. Well, uh, when you read the, the account of uh, Gog and Magog, you can clearly see uh, some sort of, um, you know, hints of nuclear weapon. But when I read about Damascus, which might happen before and trigger the Ezekiel War, I know that it's going to be uninhabitable because the Bible tells me that, but I don't know how. Right. I can tell you, though, Mike, that even a huge blast, such as the one that happened last summer in, in Beirut, can make a city uninhabitable. You don't need necessarily a nuclear weapon. A, a, some, chemical, uh, some chemical agent that is uh, spread all, all over might do the job uh, enough to cause a city to be uninhabitable. I mean, a third of Beirut became uninhabitable after that blast. So I don't know if it's going to be a nuclear thing. I know that in some hints of nuclear exchange are in the description of Ezekiel, which is a, you know, a different war where Damascus is not necessarily in the picture. I mean, Syria is not even part of the coalition against Israel. But um, definitely something will happen that causes, that will cause Damascus not to stand anymore as a city for the first time in the history, because this is the longest uh, standing city in the world. I mean, uh, it's quite amazing. It's still standing. Even yeah. after 11, almost 11 years of, of civil war, and a lot of uh, the outskirts of Damascus are totally demolished. The city itself, believe it or not, Mike, if you take a plane from America, land in Damascus, 
you can actually see normal life going on. It's uh, pretty uh, impressive. So, and most of the strikes when Israel is striking are in the outskirts of Damascus, in the international airport area, and in some other places. But, but uh, the Bashar al-Assad is in his palace, and uh, oh, I mean, people still live there. And in fact, shortly they will go to vote. They have elections in in Syria. So. Yeah, the city is definitely going to be destroyed. The Bible tells me so, and it will be uninhabitable. I cannot say that it's going to be nuclear because right. the Bible simply doesn't say that. It's hard to imagine the, a city being uninhabitable. Anything to add on that, uh, Pastor Barry? Well, I think if we look at the language there, a heap means something that is completely destroyed. A pile of ruin is what the actual word means. So that doesn't necessarily, as Amir said, uh, require some type of nuclear device. It could sim simply be a conventional weapon or a series of them, uh, you know, kind of like uh, back in World War II, you know, where there was just this basic cluster bombing and, and uh, absolute destruction uh, of cities. And they looked exactly like Isaiah describes there in 17.1. So, yeah, I would agree. I, I think you know, again, because they report themselves to be the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world, uh, that, that's a pretty big indicator that something radical is going to happen. But also, you know, we've had outside the airport at Damascus, you know, the bioweapons research uh, facility that's been struck n numerous times. It could simply be that a conventional weapon hits this uh, cache of uh, bioweapons or whatever they've got stored there, chemical weapons, and uh, nobody can enter the city anymore. So we really don't know, but it, it, it's an interesting prophecy because it's just kind of pops on the page and then one verse and it's over. And I think that's what's going to happen to Damascus. It's just one day it's a ruinous heap and uh, no one lives there anymore. So so what is safe to say, if I'm hearing both of you correctly, is that we have a lot of options in terms of human weapon, technology, ingenuity oh, yeah. to completely wipe out a city <laughs> without any problem. Uh, Mike, again, Beirut is, the biggest, Beirut is a great example. I mean, one blast, look what happened to a third of a city. Oh, and that goodness. was just one blast that actually it wasn't even a rocket that hit it. It, it was some something that was ignited from within that uh, that caused all of that. And so, you know, I'm just saying I, I, I can see that happening. Look, honestly, last summer when that happened in Beirut, that really opened my eyes to understand what the destruction of Damascus can look like. I mean, within hmm. seconds, a third yeah. of the city was wiped out. So, I mean, I was like, wow, now I understand how fast the city can be a heap of ruins and uninhabitable. I so mean, fast too. Huh? Yeah. Very fast. Very fast. Yeah. yeah. While the questions are coming in like a, like a watershed. Um, I want to throw this one to you, Pastor Barry, uh, literal versus allegorical. Lori's asking, how can we know when numbers in the Bible are meant to be literal and meant to be symbolic? My pastors say all the numbers in Daniel and revelation are symbolic. I disagree, but how do I argue with this? Well, I think we use history. If you look at what happened with, you know, the prediction that Daniel made about the uh, the weeks of years, and then you calculate them as Sir Robert Anderson did, uh, and, uh, you know, we can see the math works out uh, literally, and there's nothing allegorical about it. And, you know, you've got the parallels between the 70th week of Daniel, a final seven of the seventy. We're told over and over and over that the Great Tribulation is a seven-year time period consistent, again, with what Daniel said. So I think we have, in that sense, a pretty distinct advantage in that we can look back, do the math, and see that these things were fulfilled. The first 69 have been fulfilled exactly as written. And, you know, when something is allegorical, it's identified as such. And if you look at the book of Revelation, you know, you'll see over and over, John will reference something that uh, allows it to be something understood from generation to generation. Like he says, you know, uh, a voice like the sound of many water. Uh, that's something that is generic that any generation can understand. It's identified you know, by the fact that it's like that. It isn't that but it's like that. So allegory is always identified in prophetic scripture. And uh, so we can take these things through history 
and through the language itself and understand there's nothing allegorical about what Daniel wrote about. The time periods are exactly that, 70 periods of seven years each. And uh, do the math, uh, look at history, and uh, that gives us our answer and context. Yeah, Mike, uh, I would like to remind you that Daniel himself was excited about the prophecy that Jeremiah gave. In the ninth chapter, he starts by saying, I was praying and I was considering that, you know, we're almost done with the 70 years that we're supposed to be in the exile. Ooh, interesting. He, was, he was super excited. Why would Daniel be excited about allegory? or uh, yeah. you know, symbolic thing. He knew the 70 years that Jeremiah said that God punished Israel to be out of the land because of the 490 years that they were in the land and they skipped the, the sabbatical year um, every, every seven years. For that, he said, he's excited. You know, I'm, uh, Mike, uh, allow me to, um, I'm going all the way now to the book of Daniel. Here it is, chapter 9, and he says this. He says, um, uh, in the year, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the book the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through... Oh throughout Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Daniel took them literally, not figuratively. And so we should the same. And when Daniel considered those 70 years, God sends him the archangel and, and he says, I have even greater revelation to give you. So I'm sorry, it didn't really say uh, Daniel you talked about literal one. Let me give you an allegory. No, <laughs> yeah, it sorry. wasn't that case. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is very good. I'm, I'm sure, Lori, that you took notes on that. I hope you did. Julie, Pastor Barry, uh, is asking, what, who are the guests of the marriage supper of the Lamb? Are the guests the tribulation saints? Also, this takes place after Jesus comes back and throws the beast and the false prophet in the lake of fire, right? And I want to hear what you have to say about that, Amir, because you've developed a lot of teaching on that. Yeah. Well, the marriage supper of the Lamb obviously takes place when the, the bride is present with the Lord during the tribulation period. And then at the end of that uh, seven-year time period, uh, the bride returns with the Lord. And, you know, there's a lot of debate, and I'm going to leave that to Amir to answer the question about who the guests are, because as you mentioned, Mike, yeah. uh, he's done some teaching on that. And um, but it, you know, one we do know that we are going to be present uh, in heaven with the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then at the end, as Revelation yeah. 19 records, we are going to return uh, with Him. We also need to remember that both uh, Israel is referred to as the wife of God, the church mm -hmm. is referred to as the bride of Christ, and I think that gives us a little hint. And I'll uh, hand that off to Amir. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mike, uh, you have to remember, apart from the church, any other group of saints, uh, for example, saints of the Old Testament, uh, as well as Israel, when Israel will get saved at the end, they're not the bride. Even if even the saints of the tribulation, Mike, uh, you know, it, 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 they, they, they are not. I mean, the bride is the one that is going to be taken. Remember that. But I would say that Israel and the saints of the Old Testament are, in my mind, the guests because uh, they are not the bride. They're not the church. Right. I understand. Well, Amir, let me throw this one at you then. <clears throat> um, Tanya, thank you for this question. Where or does it say in the Bible that people receiving the mark of the beast will be pledging allegiance to the Antichrist? First, uh, first of all, the entire the entire account of the mark of the beast is in Revelation 13. Okay, Revelation 13. If you want to learn about the mark of the beast, go to Revelation 13. Okay, and in Revelation 13, you can clearly see the following thing. It says, um, 
Uh, I would say from verse 11 all the way to, to, to verse uh, 18. I mean, they should read about it. And, but, but you have to remember, it says in verse 16, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has... Okay, so you understand. And now if you go earlier, you can clearly see regarding this whole thing that um, in verse 7... It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose name have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. In other words, we see a description of the worship of the beast. And then you see the, the more practical side of, of how he's going to implement his total control over them. But it's a control over people who already worship you. It's not like I'm going to, you know, put something in you against your will. No, you know, it, it's people who worship. Look, the only people that are not going to, to worship him are those that are, he has the power to overcome. Right. And, obviously, and obviously it's not the church because the church, we know the, the promise of Jesus in, in Matthew 16, at Caesarea Phil, the church will, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So one thing is for sure, the saints of the tribulation will not worship him and will not take upon themselves any, any um, uh, symbol of that worship. Okay. Now think about it, Mike. If they are not doing that, that means that they're going to have to live in caves and in, on, in forests and on mountains. And they will they will not be able to be part of the society. Yeah, that's they, a horrible, they, horrible it's thing. It's a horrible thing. And they, they are going mm -hmm. to go to a terror. And once they're going to be captured, because remember, they will be handed out. Even Israel, if you remember, the Bible talks about how they will they will turn them in. People will turn them in. Any believer at that time, and 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 what so they we won't know, have a restraining, they won't be able to restrain. They're going to be on the Mike, run. Mike, what we do know is that he will overcome them in this in this in this particular thing. We know mm. that they will die, they will mm. die, and we know there will be a lot of pain and misery and sorrow because when they get to heaven, it says, and they will no more have tears, and they will no more be hungry. Or thirsty. Why? Because they would they would suffer hunger and thirst and, and lots of crying and lots of look. I'm I'm telling people, you know, if you think for a second that what this world right now goes through is Revelation 13, you you've got to be kidding me. You probably never read the book of Revelation because the the reality of the book of Revelation is a not a thousand. It's a million times more severe than what, what we have now is, is, is just game. It's nothing. Yes. Yeah. Compared a, lot to that. What, a lot of what we see now is preparing the minds of the people, preparing the, the ground for it. Yes, I agree. I, I obviously I'm not ignorant to that, but we are not in Revelation 13 and there is absolutely no world leader right now that the Entire world falls at his feet and worship, and then takes his mark. Yeah, it's not it, it. It reminds me also of Re uh, Revelation fourteen verse nine. It says, and an, and another angel, a third, followed him, saying with a loud voice, "If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead and on his hand, yada yada." It, it's lumped together, isn't it? I mean, it's it's kind of part it's the worst thing. It's, it, Mike, you cannot. Nobody's going to take it unless he. And this is why. By the way, Mike, if you take it, you cannot be saved because you already worship the beast. 
You worship yeah, being in conflict. You won't be able to yeah, do it. It's not yeah. like I'm a believer in Christ and I'm being forced to take the mark of the beast. There's no such thing. The only person that will take the mark of the beast are the person that worships the beast. And, and thus, he won't be saved. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that, that's very clear. Yeah, Pastor Barry, anything to add into this? We've uh, we've really explored this one. Yeah, I think it's important, as Amir pointed out, to recognize that, you know, saints is not a term exclusive to the church. There are Old Testament saints, yeah. the church, uh, people of the church are called saints, and there are tribulation saints as well. And they are three distinct groups, but they all uh, share that same title. And um, by the way, for those of you uh, with a Catholic background out there, you don't become a saint by performing uh, two miracles or any other criteria established by the Catholic Church. You become a saint uh, by believing God. And uh, as the church age uh, tells us, to accept Christ as Lord and Savior and be born again. So, you know, I think, again, a lot of questions come up over the years uh, of the fact that saints is mentioned. So that means the church is present during the tribulation, as, as Amir pointed out. Revelation 13 makes it quite clear that those who receive the mark are not written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. So, you know, yeah, there's going to be saints during the tribulation period, but they're not the church. Uh, they are specific to that time period, just like saints are specific to the Old Testament time period and distinct from the church. So I think just a little uh, uh, further clarity on that issue uh, regarding Revelation 13 and beyond. We've had a lot of speculation on this next question from Libby. Libby, thank you for this question. Libby's asking, and I'll start with you, Pastor Barry, where does the Ezekiel War fit into the timeline of the rapture? Before the Ezekiel War or after? Barry knows it very well. He's, that's his expertise. <laughs> well, first of all, I've noticed it, it comments. To, yeah. Let, me, <laughs> let me just say... Um, People have been commenting, sounds like there's construction going on. And indeed there is right under my office. Uh, there's plumbers working downstairs. So no, somebody commented, sounds like somebody's growling. No, there's no demons uh, online or anything. That's a, that's a hammer, uh, an impact hammer running downstairs. So pardon the, uh, the noise. But, you know, the Ezekiel War scenario is kind of interesting. I think, you know, one, we because we read it and it's it's basically encompassed in two chapters, I think we come away sometimes with the idea that it's uh, short-lived and it just it starts one day and ends the next. But we do know it's going to end rather rapidly and it's going to end with the miraculous intervention of God uh, where he, in a very Old Testament-like manner, defends the children of Israel, much like we see him uh, acting on behalf of the woman who bore the male child, meaning Israel, uh, in the book of Revelation. So it can start prior to uh, the rapture of the church. The rapture happens in the midst of the war and it finishes uh, during the tribulation period. The rapture can happen before it. Uh, any of these things are possible scenarios. Uh, but, you know, I think just because of how uh, the, the uh, fire, the hailstones of fire mingled with blood, uh, the earthquake, at least the end of the war, I believe is going to happen during the tribulation period. But that doesn't mean it can't start before the rapture of the church. So, you know, a lot of scenarios uh, could possibly play out. Could be the rapture, the Ezekiel War, and then uh, uh, could be the destruction of Damascus, ignites the Ezekiel War, rapture happens. Uh, but I believe that what the text indicates is at least the end of the war uh, happens during the tribulation because we see God intervening on behalf of Israel in a literal and physical way uh, that is specific to the tribulation time period. Okay. Okay. Amir, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's really hard for me to 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 under, to to put my finger on a time frame. Um, I always uh, thought that the tribulation begins with the rise of the Antichrist and with the peace treaty that he 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 confirms. So uh, there's a good chance that. Um, at the very end of that war, there will be already talks about peace, and that that might begin it. And uh, but again, it's it's one thing is for sure, Mike. The the, the as, as as we know from Second Thessalonians chapter two, the tribulation cannot start until the Antichrist is revealed. 
And the Antichrist cannot be revealed until we are out of here. So these are the good news. Uh, anything else is a bonus, but uh, <laughs> um, but but the good news is that um, he won't be revealed before we are out of here, and the tribulation won't begin until he is revealed, because he is the one that the last se uh, week of the seventy weeks, he's the one that orchestrates the seven years thing, and he will break uh, break that that thing in the middle and all of that. So, I mean, for me, when I talk about tribulation, I am, I mean, the thing that comes to my mind first is the Antichrist, because I know that it's with his rise that we begin it, and it's with his fall that we end it. And, uh, and he's got seven years to show how bad he is and how wrong he is to the whole world, because... He cannot bring peace to the world. His peace worth nothing. And he cannot even overcome Jesus and all of us because eventually he's the one who's going to be thrown down to that bottomless pit. So so he's nothing. He, I mean, you've got seven years to play, but uh, all of that is just to expose who is for him and who is not for Christ. That's it. I mean, it, it, it's like sometimes, Mike, when I write something, all the mice comes out of their holes. You can see immediately, you know, I, sometimes I write something and you can see all the anti-Semites come out of their hole. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes, so so I believe his, his emerging is not gonna start something that the world has not seen before when it comes to non-believers. Non-believers were there from the foundation of the world, I mean, uh, but it will expose the hearts of the people. So when the thousand years millennium kingdom will come to an end and all of them will resurrect, that will be a just trial with a just judge who will judge them according to everything they have displayed throughout their life. And the tribulation is obviously... A great way. By the way, not only the tribulation, Mike. I always said that even the thousand years millennial kingdom is a way to see how pitiful and how 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 sad the state of the heart of a human is. Because think about it: after a thousand years of physical reign of Jesus in Jerusalem, mm. still there will be multitudes that will join Satan for a short time. Amazing. Come against this. So Amazing. you see. You see that anything that has to do with Satan, whether it's his minions, his guy, the Antichrist, or himself when he's released for a short time after the thousand-year millennium, it will always expose the hearts of the people. Yeah. And then, therefore, the judgment will be justified. Yeah, yeah. Th th there's a lot to unpack here, folks. Yeah, uh, Mike, you know, Mike, can I comment on that? Yeah, please. You know, I, I think it's important, too, to remember that the Antichrist allows for the third temple to be built. And if you look at what happens in the Ezekiel War scenario and the geographic areas that are named there in Ezekiel 38 and 39, you have basically the vast majority of radical Islam represented by those nations. You know, we've got the aggressiveness of Turkey. You've got, obviously, Iran, Persia, who wants the, uh, to see the demise of Israel, uh, Libya, again, uh, same type of mentality. You've got uh, Sudan uh, in that uh, that scenario, and then of course Russia. And you know, but if you look at this and these geographic areas represented there, you've got basically a, a, a strong percentage of radical Islam that's going to be destroyed by God uh, to end this Ezekiel War scenario. So, if you have then the proposition of a rebuilt temple. I've always thought it kind of comical. Who, who's going to argue? God destroys five, six of these invading armies uh, by the strength of his hand in a e e Egypt plague type scenario. I mean, who's going to argue with rebuilding the temple? So, I mean, there's clearly a close relationship between these events and the rapture of the church and the uh, bringing forth of the, the man of sin, the son of perdition. But it is, you know, an interesting scenario. But I think the most important thing to point out is that uh, we'll be watching from the grandstands yes. and uh, we'll be in heaven uh, with the Lord before the Antichrist can even be revealed. Amen. 
Amen. Yeah, you know, now that we're on this topic of uh, of millennium and all of the Antichrist and tribulation, Jesus comes back, he brings in the, the pure millennial reign. Annalise Amir is asking this, and this is one of the fun questions that I, I love. Thank you for this, Annalise. Will we be able to move around like Jesus when he had a re resurrection body during the millennium, like in a changing place and in, in a second? Uh, I think what she means is, what kind of body will we have in the millennium and how will it function, Amir? I can tell you what kind of a body we will not have. Uh, First <laughs> Corinthians chapter 15 tells okay. us that this mortal body will become immortal. And, 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 and uh, the Bible also says that this is a tent that will be replaced by a building. So whatever this body cannot do, the new one will be able to do. So I uh, presume that uh, if Jesus in his resurrected body, look, Mike, I'm, I'm working on a new message right now about uh, who is your icon. I mean, because the Bible says in, in Romans 8, 29, that we should, you know, be likened to his image. Okay. Hmm. But remember, remember, Mike, we will be getting our glorified, we will be glorified. We will getting our glorified physical body at some point just like his, okay? We, we will be, um, you know, in that sense, um, getting that. And, and remember, look at what Jesus did during the, the time after his resurrection while he was still here. Remember, he was for 40 days, he was on earth before he had ascended. And uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that he did uh, that he could uh, appear here and, and appear there and, I mean, and, and honestly, the, that's the indication to me of how we are going to be. Now, I don't know if we're going to be, you know, flying like Superman or, or stuff like that. But I don't care. All I know is that this is not going to be there. Yeah. I mean, immortal will become immortal. The, 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 the uh, you know, corruption will be incorruptible. I mean, it, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. There will be no ache. No hunger, no oh. nothing. This listen, this you're selling body, me. You're selling me on this new yes, this new body. Listen, <laughs> aren't we always we, we're always fighting uh you know issues? People don't understand. We are this is a fallen body of a fallen person in a fallen world that the Lord first resurrected his his spirit, his soul. I, I am already resurrected, according to Colossians chapter 2. If hmm. Remember, he spoke about he resurrected us. And then in Colossians 3, he says, If indeed you were raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above. Remember, so spiritually we were resurrected, but physically <clears throat> we will only be resurrected at the moment of the rapture. And, and that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is, which is what also Paul is trying to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So the minute this body is no longer mortal and corrupted, the law of gravity has no power over it anymore. And we will be gone. We'll be in the air. Boom. To meet the Lord. We're not meeting Jesus on earth. Church, yeah. listen to me. I'm looking at the camera. We are not going to meet Jesus here. We've got a location, we've got a date, and we've got a place, and it's in the clouds. That's what the Bible says. It's not here. And in order to get to the clouds, you have to have a different body. This fallen body cannot enter into the presence of a holy God. It cannot. Yeah. Okay. That's it, that. First, that's first Corinthians 15 talks 15. about that, doesn't from it? The, from verse 50 and on, you read it. It's wonderful. It's wonderful, but mm -hmm. we've got to understand that. People dismiss the rapture. They think it's not going to happen. But Paul was very clear, not only that it's going to happen, but how it's going to happen. He even gave us the order of the rapture. This is how it's going to happen. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we that are alive and well will be caught up together in the cloud to meet the Lord in the skies, and then we will always be with him. What's so hard to understand? What this is yeah, not beautiful. Darby's. Beautiful it's not hope. Darby's. It's not Darby's idea. It's yeah. It's, it's the letter <laughs> that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. 
I never heard of Darby and his. Uh, I I read First Thessalonians four, and I I said Hallelujah. Now I understand what First Corinthians was also all about. You see, it kills me when Christians doubt the most beautiful promises that the Lord has for them, and they somehow take pleasure in in the thought that they must go through the tribulation to justify their salvation. It, it's almost like. Uh, Hmm. Faith through works, or, or I mean, salvation. Exactly. Through works. That's exactly what it is. Salvation hmm. through works. I will overcome the hmm. tribulation, and then I will worth the salvation. That's baloney. That's not biblical. Biblically, we're not to be here, and biblically, the church, the gates of hell, cannot prevail against her. That's right. But we know from Revelation thirteen that. There was power given to the Antichrist to overcome the saints. These are different saints. These are the saints of the tribulation. Mm. These are not the, that's not the church. I mean, ever mm -hmm. since, look, why is the church not mentioned in, in the entire description of the tribulation? Why? Why do we need two witnesses? Why do we need 144,000 Jews if there are hundreds of millions of Christians worldwide? Why do you need 144,000 Jews? Two witnesses, an angel that is going on. You need those because there are no more Christians here. We are gone. And God is never giving up on people. He's going to send them more things, such as the two witnesses, such as the angel, such as the, the Jewish evangelist, such. But we are not here. We have a meeting in heaven, and we've got a wedding to attend. In, in, and it's not just to attend. We are the bride. You cannot just it's amazing. It's you beautiful. Yeah. It's your own wedding. The bride's uh, not a guest. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. This is what a passionate summary of all of these events. Um, Pastor Barry, do you what, what difference will there be between a, mo a millennial resident on Earth? What what will be the difference between their bodies and our bodies? I mean, is that something we could maybe unpack a little bit? Yeah, we're told, you know, as, as uh, Amir was alluding to, and as Paul wrote to the church at Thessaloniki, the dead in Christ are going to rise. And he wrote to the church in uh, Philippi that because we are citizens of heaven, that Jesus is going to transform these lowly bodies into or conform them into his glorious body. And so we're going to have a, a glorified state instantaneously that is immortal and incorruptible. Wow. And the dead in Christ will receive those bodies at the same time. We'll be in heaven uh, with the Lord for the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we'll return with him, as Revelation 19 very clearly teaches. And then we'll rule and reign in righteousness with him for that milliannum, that thousand-year period where Jesus rules in righteousness from Jerusalem, seated on David's throne, the throne of human government. There are going to be survivors of the tribulation. Jesus said that uh, if he didn't come back and stop it, no flesh would survive. But because he does, there will be natural uh, human beings who go into the tribulation or uh, into the millennium. And uh, of course, you know, nobody, uh, as the old saying says, you know, God only has sons and daughters, no grandchildren. So nobody's going to go in to the millennium and be born as a saved human being. They're all going to have to make their own decision to follow after Ooh. Christ. So you're going to have natural human beings who, uh, even though they live in an Eden-like atmosphere, as Isaiah indicates and Ezekiel as well, uh, where you know we're told that if a child dies, uh, they'll die at 100 years. So we do know there's going to be an increased lifespan, even of those who are still in their natural flesh uh, during that time. We will not die. We'll be in a glorified state. We'll be immortally incorrupt, incorruptible. And there will be human beings uh, who live and die during the millennial reign of Christ. We know there's going to be sin. Uh, why would you rule the nations with a rod of iron if there's no sin? Uh, why would there be those who refuse to come up uh, for the uh, Feast of Tabernacles and, and celebrate the Messiah? And uh, there to be uh, justice and no rain on their land if people are all in a glorified state. So there's going to be people with their own flesh and desires who live during the tribulation, but we're not going to be among them. We're going to be perfected in a glorified state like that of Jesus for that whole time period.
Yeah, and to Amir's point, the the people, if they weren't born in that state, they wouldn't uh, be able to follow Satan at the end, some of them. Mm-hmm. So that's another another layer there. Well, uh, Mike, yeah, I have right. a question for you, Mike. So far, have I added anything out of the Bible or have I not just quoted from the scriptures? Because, you know, I, I'm reading the comments and I'm like, I'm, I'm amazed at how people can be so blind. Somebody said, you guys should not add anything to the Bible. Well, I just quoted 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians. We, I mean, what else do you want in order yeah. to understand that it is a biblical view? It the rapper a, is not anything no. but biblical. Guys, it makes for yeah, and it's impossible broadcast to 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 put verses after every sentence. It's something like when you read a book, you want to see the verses after every sentence. We can provide those, but um, we're challenging everybody to take these claims and then see where they're at in the scripture. They're there. It's just um, I'm not sure why that is the case, Amir. But um, you'll be delighted, Amir, to hear this. We have a Filipino here, and we know how much you love the Filipinos, <laughs> Rixie. Hello, good morning from Philippines. My question is, Amir, do you think the great harlot Babylon is uh, in? Who is the great harlot? Quote Babylon in Revelation seventeen. What is the great harlot? Hmm? Well, the it's it's look uh, <laughs> tough question. Is, no, I am I am about to release a message called the rise of the one world government, a uh, one world religion. Okay, and I believe that's the great harlot, and um, and it's worth waiting for. Um, we already ex- uh, released a teaser uh, last week, and we are going to release the full message that I uh, I uh, filmed in Jerusalem. We are going to release it this weekend. So, to all my Filipino friends, um, watch the rise of the one world religion message that we are going to uh, premiere this weekend and you'll get your answer. That is a great answer. That is a great answer. <laughs> Pastor Barry, do you want to give any spoiler alerts to the... Uh, <laughs> well, to the, I uh, think, you know, if we have to recognize that it's been described as, you know, the really the two Babylons in, you know, being ecclesiastical Babylon representing the false religion of the tribulation period and then commercial Babylon which represents the global world system that uh, the Antichrist controls and and uh, moderates the buying and selling by taking the mark or the number of his name. Uh, so we do have the spiritual element. We do have the commercial element that are represented there in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. And, um, you know, the, the commercial element is going to hate the spiritual element, uh, much like we see happening today. But um, I think that's just kind of a generic way uh, to understand it. There's the religious side, and then there's a commercial side uh, of Babylon. That's why there's a false prophet, and there's a beast who runs the the commercial system. So those are the two components, I think. Watch the video. Watch the video and get your pen and paper out. I want to write all the verses down. I am so pleased to see people on this forum today from all around the world. Mike, I'm watching where they are because this is when I am I am able to watch comments now. People from uh, I have someone from Jerusalem, but people from Saudi Arabia are watching us. Wow, awesome! Uh, people from Europe, uh, Netherlands, and Prague uh, in the Czech Republic. People from South Africa and all across the United States. People are in the Philippines, of course. People are in Singapore, I saw. People are in Indonesia. It's so amazing to see guys, people from all around, mm-hmm. people from France, people from Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's just amazing. Uh, I, 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 I'm speechless. I mean, that's, that's the yeah. one thing we should, we should thank God for technology. I mean, it's so, it's so easy to always... I see people from New Zealand and Japan. Thank you. Uh, people... Uh, Ireland is in the house as well. My point is, we are so fast, we are so fast to bash technology that we sometimes don't understand that technology can be used for good and for evil. But uh, thankfully, through technology, I can sit in Galilee, you guys can sit on two different sides of the United States, and we can reach the entire globe. It's phenomenal. Yeah, and you Filipinos, uh, you guys are staying up late, I have to say. Or early, early morning, because early morning, yeah, a lot of them are 
hardworking people. They wake up super early and go to work. It's it's amazing how how much traffic you can find in Manila, even at 4 a.m. and 5 a.m. Now, speaking of our international community, uh, Vedad is in Nederland, Nederlands. All right. What, look, and I'm going to frame this question because I think it goes beyond what Vedad is saying here. And I'm going to throw this at both of you guys. Um, she's saying this. Uh, he, he or she, I don't know. Um, what role does the Netherlands play in the end times is Amsterdam the capital of the new Babylon? I could see how she'd come to that conclusion with all the immorality. However, the, the larger question that I want to add to it is, we're all wondering, Amir and Barry, wh where does our country stand? The United States, Holland, yeah. Philippines, I will, China. Yeah. Where Mike, do these, if they're not in the Bible, does that mean they all blow up? No, Amir, I, I, mean, I honestly think that uh, uh, the political system is going to change to the point that we might even not hear of the Netherlands anymore as a state by itself. Um, so, so, but I can tell you, the Netherlands is in the heart of that Western European uh, continent that I believe where is where the Antichrist is going to come from. You know, it wasn't anywhere but in Amsterdam that I had that um, unbelievable revelation of of. Oh, no, I wouldn't call it rev. I okay. I was in the middle of the Dom Square, Mike, year f five years ago, in. I was looking around me and I saw people without faces. For the first time in my life, I'm watching live. I'm standing and I see tons of people without faces. I realized then and there that there will come a point in this part of the world where the individual will mean nothing. That's it. We're, and we're going towards that. I mean, what is, what is um, right now going on right now in the world? The individual is being erased. Look, they're not looking at you as individual right now. Now they are promoting things that are looking at people as groups and not individuals anymore. And, and as you could see, Mike, when I quoted Revelation 13, it says the following thing. It says, and... Um, and... And... And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. All who dwell, these are earth dwellers. And that is why I'm always going back to, Revela to Revelation 3. He will take us out or keep us from the hour of trial that is going to come upon those who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers. And all those who dwell on the earth are going to worship him. And then he says, those whose name is not in the book of, in other words, the non-believers. And, and Mike, people don't understand that. This is going to be a global thing. So, so there is nothing right now. There is no global leader right now. Even though globalism is on the rise, even though everybody's pushing for one world government and one world economy and one world uh, religion, it is already in full motion. But that man is not revealed yet. And guess why, Mike, he is not revealed yet? Huh. Guess why? We're here. <laughs> We're still here. He cannot be revealed while we are here. People, yeah. you need to Second get it. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians like chapter verses. 2. People, you have to continue reading chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians and get to verse 7. You know, and you will understand. He will, uh, only when the restrainer is taken out of, taken out of the way, and then the Bible is using the word then. In other words, after, right after. Uh, yeah. That man, uh, he will be revealed. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Pastor Barry, uh, China, Russia, Australia, New Zealand, any country not mentioned in the Bible, does that mean they just, I mean, where, where do they go? I mean, what, what, what's their future? Well, I think we have to look at Revelation 17, where we see uh, a pretty healthy description of, or hearty, I should say, description of what's going to be going on uh, under the reign of the Antichrist. And one of the most important passages there in that whole Babylon scenario is in verse 10 of chapter 17, where we're told about the 10 kings who will share authority 
for a brief time with the Antichrist. And it says they have received no kingdom as of yet. So there are going to be specific world rulers who rise to power under the reign of the Antichrist, and the whole geopolitical system of the earth is going to be restructured. There'll be, you know, obviously the, the commercial uh, association with the mark of the beast, the false religion, and all of that. But I, I think, as Amir alluded to earlier, you know, the, the common names that we're uh, familiar with today are going to be wiped out, and there will be uh, no United States, or, and by wiped out, I mean the names. Yeah. Uh, they're, yeah. they're going to be a complete restructuring of world authority, according to Revelation chapter 17. So, you know, now, we do know Holland. that the prince of the people who is to come uh, is the, the place where the Antichrist is going to rise from, uh, who destroyed the sanctuary and the temple. That was the Romans. So we do know the geographic region of the former Roman Empire uh, is where the Antichrist is going to rise up from. And uh, so, but the, the other specifics, uh, again, we're not going to be here to see it. And there'll be a complete restructuring of world power uh, during the tribulation period. And uh, as Amir alluded to, you know, one of the great evils of our day, according to the world and according to the globalist, is nationalism. And something that used to yeah. be a point of pride for every person in their own home country is now viewed as anti-globalist and anti-greater good. And uh, so erasing national identities is one of the main priorities of uh, the globalists today and the great reset coming. So things are going to change. Speaking of the Netherlands, just to make it very clear, I love uh, Holland, I love the Netherlands, and I believe that there there's a small remnant there, and they really struggle with a very liberal uh, mindset of government and many people. And I am going to be there this uh, August, the end of August. I will come to speak in the Netherlands and Belgium, and I'm super excited about it. Look, that, that part of the world, of Western Europe, it may be very ungodly right now, or godless, but there is a remnant there. And they are so on fire and they they go through a lot of trials, Mike. And I just want to encourage all of you guys in the Netherlands, in Germany, in France, um, in Belgium, you know, just stay strong. And the Lord is looking at you and he's smiling to see that in the midst of so much ungodliness, uh, you, you're still there proclaiming the name of Jesus. So be, wow. be strong, okay? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. We love all of you. And, and to Barry's point, which we lost, he'll come back hopefully in just a second, that, that revived Roman Empire, it includes Europe. And it's very, very thought-provoking to have to think about what's going on in Europe right now. It's feeding straight into the prophetic. Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Telegram, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Download our free app, available in Android and Apple under Behold Israel. Amir's teachings can be found in multiple languages. You can also visit our website, beholdisrael.org.